Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast. Don't forget to check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. We're also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you like to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. They partner with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. You can book in advance or... You can book three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings. You can book ahead. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds, three taps, and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels. Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where you can find pop culture podcasts like Black in the Air from Larry Wilmore, The Big Picture on the Channel 33 podcast from Sean Fennessy, The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. Chris Ryan and Sean Fennessy are here. My name is Bill Simmons. Coming up, the rewatchables, wedding crashers. Mom, <laughs> we need some meatloaf. This summer, two people will come together to celebrate the sanctity of marriage. It's wedding season, kid. Crashing weddings. We are going to have tons and tons of opportunities to meet gorgeous ladies that are so aroused by the thought of marriage that they'll throw their inhibitions to the wind. Who are we this time? Lou Epstein, I want you to meet Chuck Schwartz. Sanjay Collins. Chuck Vendaloo. Seamus O'Toole. Bobby O'Shea. I'm ready to get drunk. Okay, so what angle are you going to play here? I'm going to go with the balloon animal display. I'm going to dance with the little flower girl. I might be a charter member of Oprah's book club. It's all deadly. Owen Wilson. You know how they say we only use 10% of our brains? I think we only use 10% of our hearts. Vince Vaughn. Tattoo on the lower back. Might as well be a bullseye. With Christopher Walken. Wedding Crashers. Here's the plot for Wedding Crashers. Jeremy and John are divorce mediators who spend their free time crashing wedding receptions to drink for free and bed vulnerable women. But at the wedding of the Secretary of the Treasury's daughter, their game hits a bump in the road when John locks eyes with bridesmaid Claire. Sean, does this movie get made in 2018? Oh, my God, no. You want to go right to this? <laughs> yeah, let's start. Let's start right there. No it's chance. the most dated 13-year-old movie that ever existed. It's actually astonishing. Yeah, it kind of is. Uh, I think it's still funny. We can say that it's still funny, it's right? It's super funny. It's still funny. It's but hilarious. It is, it, is a, it is a real line crosser. Yeah, it's a line crosser, and I think the line in a lot of ways started when Twitter took off in 09. And we saw this in movies in different ways, because you just mobilize. If people didn't like something, be like, hey, this is wrong, and then everybody jumps in on it. Even you see movies like Superbad, um, Gay Slurs just thrown around in that, which Hangover. would never happen now. Hangover's another one. Yeah. Um, this was the kind of golden era of the R-rated comedy where there really were no lines. And this was a five-year stretch. What was your reaction when you watched it again, Chris? Um, well, first of all, it's worth noting that like I, too, find this very funny and very rewatchable. But it, it is 52 minutes too long. <laughs> yeah. And also has like a bunch – there's – of the time – the punchline to a lot of the jokes are you're gay, which is yeah. this, it's, it's something that plagued 40-year-old virgin. It's something that's in The Hangover where it's like there's not actually that much more to the joke than it's funny because you're gay. Yes. Yeah. And it's somewhat ironic in some of those movies, but actually not that ironic. So it's it's very strange to revisit it. It's a, and it's strange to think that this is not that long ago. Yeah. So the R-rated comedy boom, 2003 to 2009. I'm going to – now, the thing is – when I've seen this written about it, people act like there were never R-rated comedies before. Mm -hmm. There were. They, there was 
We've had them our whole yes. lives. Caddyshack is super R-rated. Yeah. So Stripes. Animal House, Stripes. Animal House. All those yeah, movies. you yeah. go through. Porkies, it's not like this one. Yeah. Away. But I think at some point in the maybe mid-late 90s, during the Happy Gilmore, Sandler, Austin Powers era, Hollywood decided the only way for a comedy to really make a lot of money was for it not to be an R. And they would take stuff out and it just was, there was an over-editing thing. Old school 2003 kind of brought it back. Yes. 03 to 09, old school 40-year-old virgin, wedding crashers, super bad, stepbrothers, knocked up, forgetting Sarah Marshall, The Hangover, which made more money than all of them. Mm -hmm. And this was the old R-rated boom, Apatow's involved. You have a lot, you're catching a lot of stars at the right points of their career. Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, The Wilsons, Zach Galifianakis has a breakout thing over and over again. Um, And then this current decade, I, I think we've, I guess Borat would count as an R-rated comedy too, even though For it's sure. not really in the middle of that. But we just saw a kind of a modernized version of that, which is Girls Trip. I mean, Girls Trip is basically a huge gross-out comedy. It's just told from a perspective that we probably hadn't seen before in that exact way. But it has actually a lot in common with some of those movies. The other yeah. version of that is Deadpool, right? Right. So it's just like it's kind of funny. It's like there's a little bit of short-term memory loss with R-rated movies. Like they're always popular, but then they just apply it to different subgenres of movies. So it'll be like. Oh, you mean you could make a gross-out comic book movie and people would love it? It's like no shit. You really is it that's much of a surprise that a superhero cursing would be like popular? But yeah, you know that that it takes a it has to go in cycles. This this movie 05 is like coming right out of uh, Maxim magazine and the first ten years of the internet, which were basically the wild wild west and. Um, I was working at Stuff Magazine when this movie was released, and it, you can imagine it was uh, it was a major point of interest at the magazine. I promise you, nobody in 2005 was like, "Whoa, this movie's." There was there was no line crossing discussions at all. Well, there's two there's two parts of the line crossing, and it's it's funny. Like I think it's good to do movies like this, right? Because I still really love this movie, but it's smart for to, to acknowledge yeah. what's going on here. So on the one hand, there's the stuff that Chris just outlined, right, which is just. Everything is a gay joke, which just seems like really dated and awful and kind of inappropriate. But then on the other hand, the basic premise of the movie is like these guys just trick women with false names and false identities into having sex with them. Like that is actually the whole point of the first 40 minutes of the movie. And ultimately even going like it's amazing how far Owen Wilson's character takes his story to try to get Rachel McAdams into bed. It's like literally an hour of the movie before it's even close to being revealed what he's actually doing. And I think in a much more sensitive environment, just the whole concept of lying to have sex feels pretty dark. Yeah. At the same time, that character has a major comeuppance as the movie goes along and the movie takes great pains to be like, actually, this is what happens to your life. You turn into the Will Ferrell character when you do this. So they they framed it in a really smart way. I. I, it's I funny battle. that that never resonated with me the, the first few times I saw it. You know what I mean? Like when you... When you're watching it and you're in the flow of it 10 years ago or whatever, you're kind of like, yeah, and then it gets back together and they're, they, they get married and it's awesome. It's like you never occurs to you that they're, they're actually seeing like the, the hangover and the dark side of that that lifestyle. Yeah. Well, not I, to get too far ahead of ourselves, but the final joke of the movie is like, let's go crash another wedding, all four of us together and lie to people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not yeah. like they've really learned that much. They just found someone they love. Isn't that, so now I'm going to flip things around. That's kind of what I liked about this movie was that it wasn't overly sensitive to all this stuff and it just kind of existed for it was. And at the end of it, it actually was logical that the girls are like, Hey, let's pretend we're a folk band. Right. And they go and it was, you know, it was this era of 
when you make a stupid comedy, it doesn't have to mean everything to everybody and it doesn't have to check all these boxes. And it's just like, hey, here's a movie where we'll, where Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn are just going to be funny for two hours. Yeah, and Christopher Walken's going to be in it and Will Ferrell's going to make a cameo and we're going to see some nude girls and it's going to be funny and it's going to be crazy and then it's going to end and your life's going to be fine. I think I, I don't know a lot about the rules of improv or anything, but I, I think it's crucial to note that there was definitely a sense when you would watch, especially a lot of those R-rated movies, that they were like they were riffing, and you oh, yeah. got and they have that feel of like you know, and all all the deleted scenes and outtakes from Anchorman are kind of legendary and old school too. And you know, when you're watching this movie, I know that they apparently like what they did was Vaughn and Wilson pretty much rewrote all their scenes in rehearsal, and then when they were on the set, would throw in some stuff. But for yeah. the most part, they had their their hands on it. But you really get the feeling, even the way it's shot, where it's like these kind of longer takes of like two or three people in a shot, they're just kind of going. And you even, I I felt that in 2005 even, where I was like, oh man, you can tell this wasn't written as it it is. Well, I read about the director's name was David Dobkin, who is not shy about talking about this movie. He's in oral histories and all kinds of things. And he had the cast rehearse for a week he storyboarded all the scenes, which nobody does for a comedy. Like he really, it's funny that he storyboarded this and then probably half the scenes were these guys going off the rails. Mm-hmm. On, this is uh, going to sound really dumb, but it's actually like a pretty good looking comedy. Like if you oh, look yeah, at the way it's that it's filmed, well it's really well made. And he was like a music video director. You can see he's actually got chops, even though the movie is, a lot of it is just two guys talking at each other. He's got all these weird like pans and dolly shots and all this stuff that you never see in movies yeah, and like most, this. And most comedies don't have... It's not quite a set piece in the sense of like it's an action thing, but it doesn't have like a signature visual thing like the shout montage is. Right. Well, he, I mean, I had this for half ass internet research. I'm going to burn it now. He directed two Tupac videos. I get around and keep your head up. Classics. <laughs> Those two are classics. Two of his first jobs. Yeah, I get around videos. Legendary. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, so the big thing for me, first of all, this movie did really well. We should mention Huge 40 hit. million budget. It made $33 million opening weekend. It made $285 million. Sean, 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, in the movie theater, I was so happy Vince Vaughn was back between this and old school. I think Swingers Vince Vaughn was really one of the iconic 90s characters that we've had for, for comedy. I loved 90s Vince Vaughn. He went off the rails immediately after and just made all these weird movies. He made a bid to be a serious actor. Yeah, and yeah. he was in the Psycho remake and... He, he made movies that people probably didn't even know he made. He made Made with John Favreau, their kind of swingers comeback that just wasn't very good. He was in Domestic Disturbance with John Travolta. Yeah, Clay Pigeons. He was in The Cell. The Cell, he was yeah. In all, he's yeah, all, yeah. in all these weird movies. He's in The Lost World, the Jurassic Park sequel. Right. He did not want to be Double Down Trent. And meanwhile, all of us just wanted him to be Double Down Trent again. So in old school, he's Double Down Trent. And then Wedding Crashers, it's basically Trent. They could have called the character Trent. Yeah. And- it was just nice to have him back, and he's great in this movie. I, I actually think this is his best, other than Swingers. I would I would rank this one. Yeah, I love him in old school, but yes, like this is that's his trifecta. Yeah. I think that, that that's like a pretty good Mount Rushmore. I'm not sure what the fourth movie on that. Mount have you ever met him? Have you ever, you ever ta- domestic disturbance for? <laughs> have you ever talked with him? Uh, just through the Corolla circles, okay, but not actually on a podcast What's he like? or anything. Um, a much. Much more mellow version. He's, very, of he's known to be very subdued, actually. Yeah, uh, not like he doesn't. I don't think he performs in this way the way that he is in the movie. But I agree, he's really, really funny in this movie. And he, uh, Owen Wilson, is a really good sparring partner for him because. 
they both keep the energy high. Like in most of his movies, like Favreau is the beta or Will Ferrell is way over the top and Luke Wilson is blank and he has to be the middleman. Yeah. In this movie, it's just like two chattering heads going back and forth at each other and they're really, really funny just together. Just stuffing cake in their mouth the entire time. <laughs> Great chemistry. Oh, amazing chemistry. Like kind of kind of Hall of Fame duo. Yeah, yeah. really, really good. And, and it's strange to me they didn't make more movies. They reunited for the uh, internship. Not very good. Not very good, but it's kind of grown on me as it's had a, yeah. a semi-cable run. It's not awful. It it's a little a disappointing. I think it's, I think Vince was in a tough spot. Swingers hit its mark in such a distinct way and meant so much when it came out. I think that movie and Dazed and Confused were these movies that it just doesn't really happen that way anymore with comedy. With This was way, way, this is even before the internet. And you discover a movie and you discover, I found out about Swingers from my friend Jen. I didn't even know it happened. It's like, hey, she was living in San Francisco. I was like, hey, this movie about LA. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. I'm like, really? Where is it? And I think a lot of people found out about that way, and everybody was attached to Vince. It was like, Vince is going, that guy's going somewhere. That guy's going to be the next guy. And we kind of all latched on to him. And he probably spent the next three years in L.A. just having people say double down Vince, double down on all the Vince lines from uh, Double Down Trent, and kind of rebelled and went the other way. Mm -hmm. And then gradually we got him back. And he's great in this. You know, part of that story is that he had been this – kind of out of work actor trying to find a good part for years and he couldn't get a good part, but he knew he was good. And so he finally lands a part. And then once he lands that part that is instantly iconic to people who saw that movie, which was not a lot of people at the time, actually. No. He wants to show everybody that that's not who he is. But the truth is, is this is like, this is the best version of him. I mean, at this time, he goes old school, Starsky and Hutch, Dodgeball, Anchorman, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Wedding Crashers, The Breakup, Fred Claus, Four Christmases. Yeah. All comedies, all in that sweet spot for him. Four Christmases is actually underrated. I, I think it's funny. Yeah. Um, the reason I asked you about if you had met him was that there's a, so you, you remember that show, uh, Dinner for Five? I think it used to be on IFC. I saw all of them. Yeah. And he was good on it. Well, and then there's another one where it's like, it's Oliphant, David Milch, Jay Moore, I think Rappaport, yeah. and, and, and uh, John Favreau. And Oliphant, Timothy Oliphant, tells this story about Vince Vaughn meeting Vince Vaughn at the Go premiere party. Oh, yeah, and, I, like, I like Go. Go is good. Oliphant, you know, remember Oliphant's in Go, and he's got, like, the tattoo on his neck, and he's with Katie Holmes in that movie, and he said that Vince Vaughn came up to him at that party, and he was, like, in full, like, Vince Vaughn's a fucking star mode, and he comes up to him, and he's just like, I saw what you were doing up there, and you were vulnerable, and you were real, and I loved it. And it's your <laughs> night. It's your night, so what are you drinking? And he was like, scotch on the rocks. And Vince Vaughn's like, scotch on the rocks for this guy. <laughs> And then he's like, and then I never saw Vince Vaughn again. He like never brought up the drink. And I just kind of like this idea that he's our generation's Bill Murray. Like this sort of folk hero who there's like stories about hanging out with Vince Vaughn, like some night in Chicago about, or like Timothy Oliphant's got a Vince Vaughn story. But it does sound like he's a little bit more of a mellow guy in real life. But he has that, he has that mystique to him, I think. This generation's Bill Murray. That's an interesting one. I I don't know how we're going to remember him, but I think we're going to remember him fondly. He was in enough good movies that kind of mattered for their era. And the swinger from 96 to 07 was a bankable A-list comedy actor. He did something that I thought was actually kind of new, which is that he brought a lot of the psycho babble that people were talking about in the 70s and 80s. And it was, you know, Woody Allen and all these neurotic actors. Mm -hmm. And he kind of like 
jet streamed it into a six foot five jock. He broed it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he talks kind of like an arrogant Woody Allen. It's, it's a lot of just, just like, where should I do? Where should I go? There's that scene in this movie where he's talking to the priest and he's kind of laying it all out there. And he's kind of like confessing, but he's upset and he's using him as his therapist. And that's a weird thing for an incredibly good looking, funny guy to be doing. And it seemed very novel at the time. And it seemed like he was able to make fast friends with people, but also you could tell he was full of shit. It's kind of like a new archetype for an actor. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Not a lot of people could do that. It's basically, you know, there's like this, there's this, you know, like there's a saying basically like, uh, you know, there's one saying where it's like everybody who heard the Velvet Underground started their own band. And yeah. then there's this idea that every Velvet Underground song basically starts a subgenre. But there's like that scene in Ghostbusters where Bill Murray's like, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You throw us in jail, we'll go happily. But Lenny, if I'm right, that whole like Bill Murray full of shit guy yeah. invents yeah. Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Like that's Vince Vaughn doing that. Like I'm kind of like, like you're saying smart, but I'm also full of shit, but I can work a room. And it's like, but I, I do have like a lovable loser quality quality to me. It's, it's like, it's really interesting to think about his comic lineage. See, I would have said he was more like our generation's Chevy Chase. Oh, interesting. Because they reminded me of each other in that, they really could only play themselves. Mm -hmm. It was always when the part worked the best. Yeah, it when was, you get Fletch, you're, you kill yeah, it. Yeah, I felt like he was like the non-cocaine, uh, late 90s, 2000s version of Chevy, where it's like, when he's on, it's like, oh, I love... Like, he easily could have been in Fletch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And movies like that, and just would have been foul play, and it would have... He could have been Ty Webb. That would have been the pick. One thing that's interesting about this movie to me is that you know, we just, you started talking about all these comedies that were all happening in this six or seven year span. And we think of them as they, like they're together. We think of old school and wedding crashers and the 40 year old virgin and knocked up and the hangover as part of this continuum. But like to your point earlier about sometimes you just want to have a dumb comedy that you really like where there's some naked girls and there's like a ridiculous subplot in the middle and there's bad characters, maybe a bad actor. Like the 40 year old virgin and knocked up. Those are very weirdly personal, specific mm -hmm. movies that are about real things that happen to people. And sometimes they're surrounded by dick jokes or gay panic jokes or whatever. But Judd Apatow and everything that he was doing is very, very, very different from these movies. Like these are commercial properties that don't really have like any subtext. They're not really about anything. They're just like, let's have a good time. Let's he, have a good time. Let's let's make people laugh. For and that's OK. Like hours. That's a good thing. And, but I think it's worth talking. I mean, and we could talk about Owen in this place too, because Owen Wilson was like, there's like a moment in, in like the early two thousands where like, you're kind of like, is this guy the next Robert Redford? Totally. You know yeah. I mean? He's in a couple of movies and you're just like, holy crap. Like this guy might have all the tools you need to be like a giant movie star who makes good stuff. And I think the tension with both Vaughn and Wilson is this awareness that like, you know, they can hit certain heights and they could be making quality stuff every time, but they're making Jurassic world. Uh, you know, the Jurassic yeah. Park sequel or they're in Behind Enemy Lines, which is also a pretty rewatchable movie, but they'll do crap. And well, it's Wilson like, had the substance stuff, too. That I yeah, I'm just saying that, like, I think that, like, when they get to Wedding Crashers, this is the perfect marriage of, like, it's not Bottle Rocket or, or, or you know, or Swingers, but it's not... It's not the breakup. It's not. It's not like kind of like a phone in job. His, and I, his career is really interesting. Wilson's is is mind boggling. Like he, the Redford thing is funny. It's funny that you say that because he clearly took two tracks. He was like, on the one hand, I'm Wes Anderson's co writer and buddy, and I make all these really cool, you know, small art house films. And on the other hand, I want to go to Cabo with Cheryl Crow, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna do I Spy. 
or I'm going to do four days on Meet the Parents. Or I'm going to do Shanghai Noon. But I don't know if there was, I don't know if he had a plan. Maybe he didn't. I think Vince Vaughn really thought about it and was like, I'm going to go this way. I think Owen Wilson's like, how much? This, how much? 28 days and I'll make 5 million bucks? Great. I'm in. It's definitely What's possible. the next project? Oh, I, maybe I should do a good one now. Uh. He worked a lot from he really 2000 did. to 2008. Yeah. He's in a lot of movies. It's also really interesting with him. We always say the word interesting too much in this podcast. It is interesting with him. He basically hit the Wes Anderson lottery. He makes a fucking film with his brother. He makes like a short film, but the director is their buddy, Wes Anderson. Like, what are the odds of that? It's amazing. I'm not as nearly as big of a Wes Anderson fan as some others, but I would say he's one of the best 10 directorial talents we've developed in the last three decades. And not for nothing, but Owen Wilson's his like, buddy? got three screenwriting credits and they're three of the best movies in yeah. the last 30 years. I, I think, think you can crazy. make the case that the Wes Anderson's best movies are the ones yeah. he made with Owen. You know, oh, the ones yeah. he co-wrote with Owen, Rushmore and Tenenbaums and those, or those first five movies are, he's had some great work in the last five or six years, but those are the movies I think that are really imprinted on people's brains. So he, his career could have gone in any number of directions. It's weird where he is right now. Well, I think he had issues. He did. But you look at that, you look at Affleck and Damon are best friends and what's happened to them when their friendship was really part of the story initially. And then the other one is Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. And Favreau is one of the most bankable directors we have. Like, what is he doing? Like a 10 episode Star Wars? He's a Star Wars TV show. He's had this entire A-list director career. For a while, it seemed like he was just going to be on Party of Five having dinner with his buddies talking about swingers. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I have, I have one more point on the uh, retroactively legislating content, sure. with, especially with comedies. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really rough place to be. Yeah. You know, I think you could go backwards and make yourself crazy about a lot of things, when, especially when you're, when you're going with comedies or just the verdicts, I think the best Boston movie ever. There's a scene when Paul Newman finds out that he got betrayed by Charlene Rampant's character and like betrayed in the worst possible way. And he goes to a bar and he meets her and he punches her in the face. Now, if you watch that movie now, you'd be like, I can't get past this. And it's a really tough scene to get past. Right. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it's not a close fist. It's a hard slap. She goes flying. She's bloody. This is a, that, this that scene a, would never happen in a movie now. It's a tough thing about Raging Bull now. When you yeah, watch, when I watched, I rewatched Raging Bull recently and I was like, this movie's like, aside from everything else that happens in it, it's a really hard movie to watch for the Kathy Moore already. So I think, so I think for me, the conversation is, you're acknowledging, wow, that wouldn't fly now. I I think people should be allowed to watch this stuff with some perspective on things were different back then. I think it works we differently in drama than in comedy. I was just that's yeah. what I was gonna say. I think that there's a difference between are we essentially trying to make light of something by hurting somebody, or are we trying to tell a dramatic story and in doing so try to show something that's real and like pretty uncomfortable but is meaningful? And it's it's impossible to legislate this stuff, like you said. Like I don't. This would be a horrible podcast if we just went down every joke and we were like, "Well, that's inappropriate." Well, that's inappropriate. I don't want to do that. I don't think we should do that. I do think it's probably I, worth I, noting, though, we that definitely like, shouldn't do that. The, the the reason that comedy is in a bit of a tricky spot and that it seems to be in this like series of contortions for the last five years is because everyone's trying to say what is and is not appropriate at all times. Like that is this complex moral quagmire that the whole genre of creativity finds itself in. And this extends to stand up. It extends to everything that's happened post me too. It extends all over the place and into movies a little bit too. And it's funny that if you look at the movies that are doing really well this year, there are the only movies that have been able to kind of like capitalize on this in a very smart way. Like blockers and game night to me are two very smart, 
very well made, very thoughtful movies that still are like sometimes you got to put a plunger up John Cena's ass to make people laugh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, there's still a way to do that stuff without necessarily like saying, you know, trying to hurt people. Yeah. Or, in the dra- in dramas, it, basically I think what you're talking about with the verdict and what I'm talking about with raging bulls, you watch these movies and they're uncomfortable to watch. Now I haven't watched the verdict in a really long time, but when I was watching raging bull, I was like, it's not that I feel like this is not genuine to the story that the movie is telling. It's just that 20 years ago or whenever I first saw raging bull, I don't think it registered the way it does now. Maybe for me. Now that being said, everything in comedy feels somewhat elective. Like it feels like it's a bit and you're choosing to do it. So when you go back and watch Stripes and there's just a 10 minute sequence of John Candy mud wrestling with naked girls, that's something that like when I was a kid didn't even register as sort of being like, that's weird that that's in this movie for just like a long time. And that's like a plot point. But now you would go back and there's no way that would get a that there's no way that would happen. Right. Well, the problem is. You have to put into context just what life was like at the time, what, how people acted, what they cared about. And, you know, there was a stage from 78 through 84 when um, nudity was a big part of comedies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like people yeah. are here to laugh and see some breasts, and mm-hmm. that's what you're getting. And you, you can't explain Porky's now. Oh, yeah. You the got, iconic I don't think you scene in Porky's Kentucky Fried was, Movie now. Well, in Porky's, they're looking through the shower, watching girls shower. And one guy puts his dick through the shower hole and then the teacher comes in and grabs his dick and is tugging it. And it's a hilarious scene. They were, they'd never make that yeah. now. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think what's tough for me is probably the line, the worst one of all of them is the Revenge of the Nerds. Him having sex with the mask on and it turns out it's Robert Carradine and not the girl's boyfriend. Yes, that yes. one was actually indefensible in 1984. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, anything that's rapey is not yeah, good. There's like, like, there's a pretty big difference to me between like, there's a lot of naked girls in this movie. Like, I, that's cool. I'm, I'm cool with that right now. If, if a person consents to being naked in a movie and they sign on to do it, like, what's yeah. wrong? There's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. There's a long history of that. There's a big difference if. They're like making jokes in light of rape. That's just yeah. Not, but, Animal House has, has some rough moments too, yeah. and that's a movie that's forty one years old, mm-hmm. and it was the nineteen seventies. I think with this one, I will defend it in this respect, even though it is not age well. And I, I think we, especially because of what we do for a living, we're conditioned to watch things now and go and think of like, oh, you can't do that. Oh, maybe that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think they did put some care into having it backfire on Owen Wilson. I agree, and. You know, Vince Vaughn ends up with this completely insane <laughs> Secretary's Treasury's daughter. But there's and something finds weird love with her. There's somehow. something really smart in that story too, which is like she lies to him and says that she was a virgin, and then when they when he finds out that she was lying and she reveals that this is something she thought guys thought they needed to say that the women needed to say to guys, then there's this this recognition that they're like two bullshit artists and that these yeah. two people that are kind of like the, the recognition Sarah of Lance. the soul's counterpoint. Yeah, exactly. Like they see that they have something, they share something and that they're equal. Like there is actually some, there's a lot of redemptive qualities to it. It's just that the house that they built it on is like a little, the foundation's a little rocky. I do worry about comedy and where it goes in this particular era. Cause you know, part of comedy is, is seeing how close you can get to the line without obliterating it. And how close can you go? How close can you go? This is something I used to fight about with my ESPN editors constantly. And now I look back at some of the jokes. I was like, wow, I could have made that one now. Couldn't make this one. Can um, I ask you, do you think that there's part of it that, you know, because I think a lot of the times we tend to think of these things in terms of cycles. But, you know, it's like with the line pushing, do you think that it's like now that it, now that it's more clearly defined where it's not just like editorial taste, but it's actually like this is hurtful to other people. Like, yeah. I think that that's that's over now. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, is it worth a laugh to be, to really hurt someone's feelings? I guess that's the thing that we think about now. I see stand-up in movies as a little different. Sure. Um, I rewatched, we're on a tangent, but this is interesting to me. I rewatched the two, two most recent Chappelle Netflix specials yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago. And I, I, I was blown away by how good I thought they were. I, I, the first time I watched it, I was watching it with the radar that you're talking about, where I'm like, what's problematic here? Yeah, what am I going to yeah, have yeah. to worry about? Yada, yada, yada. And that stuff is all important, and it is a part of our jobs. And I, I try to be as thoughtful about that stuff as I can. But the second time I watched these specials, I was like, holy shit, this is the funniest person on earth. Yeah. This is his timing, his ability, his, like, his writing, his delivery is unfucking believable and I love Dave Chappelle so much. I would kill for a, a, a Chappelle special once a year, every year until I die. And sometimes that does have a power, you know? Sometimes that is meaningful. And the reality is sometimes the funniest jokes do cross the line. Like I worked on Kimmel's show for, I don't know, 19 months, something like that. And you have these rumor professionally paid funny people day after day after day. I was much funnier back then than I am now. Um, don't, let, don't ever say that, Bill. No, nah, it's just something <laughs> younger. never been funnier. No, nah, I was younger back then. Um, I think you meant to say you've never been funny. But you're, you're, <laughs> you're there in this room and everybody knows every joke. Everybody knows every setup to the joke. And so much of it's formulaic and it's impossible to make each other laugh. And you're in these writers meetings for two hours and people are crossing lines to make each other laugh. And it was just part of the whole thing. And I just wonder where this stuff goes. If we're going to have an entire generation of people who are just conditioned to be like, can't say that, can't do that, can't go there. That's part of what comedy is. And, I, you know, Girl's Trip, the funniest scene in it was Jada Pinkett pissing yeah, I'm on wrong. the thing. Like, that's kind of where the the quote unquote iconic comedy scenes are going is like kind of sight gags and fart piss stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. John, I think John Cena with a plunger it's up his always ass. Gonna, it's always going to be extreme. I mean, like, is it any different than Kevin Nealon ripping his arms off as the Russian weightlifter in Saturday Night Live? Like, there's an extremity that's just funny. It's just about that would which be funny direction. Now, yeah, I, I described think, that. We, me and Sean, you were talking about that today. I almost started crying. I was laughing so it's hard. So good. Yeah, and it was, we were talking about. That, I think that's Brooks Kepka. That guy reminds me of Kevin Nealon. That's on hilarious. Live. And I was just saying that, like, that's still funny because that's extreme. It's taking things so far beyond the logical endpoint of a of a joke or an idea. And sometimes that does go into button pushing or hurtful territory, no doubt. But then there's, it, I don't think comedy is ever going to lose that. What if you took this scenario but kept pushing it? Yeah. I, like Sasha Byron Cohen is probably the closest thing we have now to somebody who doesn't give a fuck. One of the most. going to cross some lines. One of the and most. And we'll take the heat for it. Unfortunate bits of commentary, I think, around that show that's been on right now, the Sasha Byron Cohen show, is like, what is the point of this? What is he actually accomplishing? And I'm like, I don't, is his job to accomplish something by sitting down with a. But don't you think that that goes back to what you're saying about Chappelle? Like, you watch Chappelle. The same way you're probably watching Sasha now, we're watching it with a different set of criteria. Is this guy like morally up, upright or is this like doing anything or pushing it? Like, are we changing the conversation with this? And then maybe a year or so, somebody will go back and watch that show and just be like, holy shit, this guy was really like, this was like really out there stuff. And it's the same thing with Chappelle. Like you watch it the first time being like, is Chappelle going to get in trouble for this? And then you go back the next time and you're like, oh. You can just enjoy the comedy for this. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think either one is more valid than the other, either approach. But I definitely know that that's, I think that that's going to happen more and more. You're probably right. I agree. I mean, I think comedy can and should in some situations change the way that you think about the world and the way that you see things and the way that you understand people. But it doesn't have to. Like, it just doesn't have to. 
Like there's no, or if it does, it can be in a different way. It can be like when Steve Martin introduces a certain kind of irony into comedy or like David Letterman changes the kind of tonality of comedy. Like those things are just as meaningful and entertaining and interesting in the same way that Wedding Crashers, even though it is dated, I watched it last night and I laughed the whole time. I was like, yeah. this movie makes me very happy, even though we can, we can acknowledge the things that don't work. Ultimately, if something's funny, it's funny. And if it makes you laugh, it makes you laugh. Like I still, Zach Galifianakis jerking off the baby in the hangover <laughs> makes me laugh every time. I'm not going to apologize. It's just flat out funny. I showed it to my son as soon as he was like five. I was like, Ben, Jesus watch Christ. this. <laughs> ben didn't even know what it was. And it was just <laughs> the look on his face. Jesus Christ. I mean, my son doesn't know what it is. He's five. He doesn't know what that means. Why are you showing it to him? <laughs> well, because we were watching it. We were watching the hangover. <laughs> It's fine. Like oh, they edit yeah. that part out on Comedy Central. I don't think they should. It's oh, fucking damn funny. Them, those censors. Yeah, yeah seriously. Come on. <laughs> I think we're all too oversensitive. Anyway, uh, this movie, the central plot of it did not age that well. No. We're pretending to be people or not to have sex with you and then go on to the next group of people. This oh. would have launched a torrent of hate pieces. There's also one other thing that we haven't identified, which is like all of the sort of racial and cultural like code switching and identity grabbing for like oh, yeah. Jewish people and Japanese Americans, oh, yeah. Indian Americans. Like there's so much. It's, it's obviously in good fun. But it's like pretty inappropriate now to like put on a yarmulke and be like, my name's Lou Epstein. Yeah. Like, yeah. Lie, as they say in the old country. <laughs> well, even the funeral scene at the end when he's like, wow, that woman lost her husband. She's upset. What am I doing with my life? It's like, yeah, you're at a funeral. What are you doing? Oh, God. Anyway, uh, one last thing we should mention before we get to the categories. Rachel McAdams' first three big roles were Mean Girls, The Notebook, and Wedding Crashers. Whew. Yeah. That's fucking fire. And then I looked at her next 10 years of movies, and those remained her three best movies for another 10 years until Spotlight. (laughs) They knew, Rachel! (laughs) Rachel knew. She needed an IMDb bump. She knew! So, yeah. And we'll get to her as we go along in this, but she's spectacular in this. And when I saw this in the theater, realizing she was Regina, but different color hair, I hadn't seen The Notebook. And the takeaway leaving this movie is that's a gigantic star and she's going to be in my life now for the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. Before we started doing this, you said that this is one of the great career what if podcasts, but I, almost every person in the movie is worthy of like a 20 minute conversation. Yeah, I'm yeah. actually like, when are we going to get to Bradley Cooper? Yeah. It's going to be like a two hour podcast. Rachel yeah. McAdams is having a really good career, but like still somehow, how did she not become Julia 2.0? Like it's, it's kind of weird. Bad choices. Yeah. Bad choices with the movie she made. And by the time we got to True Detective, I don't know what kind of career she was trying to well, have. Well, I have a we have to do. You a liked whole thing. her in True Detective, though. She was. I mean, I, I, I. It depends on whether or not you're on the the True Detective season two trip or not. I'm. I never got on the train to get on that trip. Um, <laughs> what though, kind of though career that is? That is a Wedding Crashers reunion, as you know. Yeah. That's what kind of career and, did we want her to have? I think she was supposed to be Julia Roberts. I think she's supposed to do Oscar movies, but like uh, uh, with with comedy with, with comedy comedy yeah. yeah. Hmm. She's really funny in Mean Girls. She's pretty funny in this movie. This is movie, a little bit of an underwritten part. But if they still made movies like Aaron Brockovich, she would she yeah. would be a person who you would say like put her in that. She's she's a star. Yeah. I still remember Tina Fey had some line about her where like she was like when 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 Rachel McAdams was on uh, Mean Girls, like she was just like she would do stuff with her eyes that like would just basically like everybody on set was like holy crap that's a movie star because she would act with her face in a way that like only. 
big, big stars get on an innate level that you're supposed to, like Tom Cruise gets that. Right. Like, I have to act with my whole body here because I'm projecting to this huge crowd. To Rachel McAdams' nuggets, she got her certification in sailing to prepare for her role. She can now handle a 26-foot boat. That's cruise-like dedication, going back to your point. Cruise would have done that. Do you think actors just do that shit because, like, what else are they going to do? Like, they're like, oh, does my character sail in this scene? Should I, like, take a six-week sailing the course? The sailing's a big part of the movie, though. Sure, but, like, she's Rachel McAdams. I think she could have, like, convincingly, Did like, Tom Cruise have to learn to flip all those bottles at cocktail? <laughs> Did it make it better? Yes. Bill, um, Tom Cruise uh, learned how to fly a helicopter in less than three months, like, at a high level for Mission Impossible Fallout. Cruise is still number one when he's it comes to one. irrational Nobody's commitment. Nobody's ever thrown themselves into roles like he did. And I, I think he was able to drive, like, a 200-mile-an-hour race car in uh, Days of Thunder. The other thing with Rachel McAdams that I learned in my research, she listened repeatedly to Fleetwood Mac's Landside to prepare for emotional scenes. Owen Wilson said the song made her cry immediately. It was like turning on a faucet. Yeah. That's what Chris does every morning before yeah. starting on I'm the gonna content. I'm going to try that now. <laughs> I just make myself cry with yeah. Landslide. Just weep to Landslide, and then you get firing. We didn't even talk about Bradley Cooper, but we'll get to him. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, let's talk about Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals and incredible hotels, you'll love Hotel Tonight. They partner with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. They show you the best deals at hotels you'll actually want to stay at. No more scrolling through endless lists of choices. Even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can book in advance. Perfect for planners or procrastinators alike. Hotel Tonight, perfect. For spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. Book hotels in 10 seconds, three taps and a swipe. It's that easy. There's even the HT Perks program where the more you book, the better the deals get. We use this this week, actually, for a trip I am taking with a couple other Ringer employees. Guess where we got our hotel? In the Bay Area. I'll give you one guess. Hotel Tonight. Get the Hotel Tonight app right now to start scoring amazing deals in incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app. You will need, since we're here, don't forget to check out TheRinger.com, specifically our shop page, TheRinger.com slash shop if you want. Ringer t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, stickers for your laptop, whatever else, TheRinger.com slash shop. Back to the rewatchables. Wedding Crashers. Really funny. I really enjoyed it. I, I wish I could have sh- <laughs> shaken it out of my head the whole, oh, they'd never make this movie now, and, and that I wish we weren't conditioned to think that way. Most rewatchable scene. The first wedding crash montage, which crosses a couple lines, took a week to shoot. It's really great. It's one of those scenes where I, I'm actually not surprised that it took a week to, week to shoot, because watching, you're like, wow, this is they really went all in on this montage, and these guys singing Shout at 17 different weddings spectacular. I agree. It's really well done. It's fun to watch. First 20 minutes of this movie make me feel like Kendall Roy in the wolf art room in New Mexico, man. <laughs> like, I just, like, it's it's absolutely ecstatic. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the touch football scene is just unbelievable. Hot route. I wanted more of it. <laughs> I want, I want, it could have gone on for another three, four minutes. I want to see a couple more button hooks from Rachel McAdams. Can I just say really quickly about Hot Route is that that's a joke that I'll take with me to my grave. <laughs> Because it's a it's a joke that if you if you played Madden and like you played Madden with friends and you were just like here comes a hot route hot route I see I see you like shading the left here 
it's like it's one of those things that like I won't be able to explain to someone in ten years when they're like, "What the fuck is hot route mean?" or something. But I'm gonna it, I'm gonna treasure it for a really long time. Hot route, red seven, red seven, red seven. Look for me hot in the end zone after this play. I'll be the guy holding the ball. John. What? Red seven. I don't know what red seven means. Hot route. I've also been in that position before where we're on somebody's lawn and playing a game and I'm trying to take the game really seriously and I'm calling out plays and shit and some guy's trying to flirt with a girl and I'm like, dude, focus on the game. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Um, I also like their house in that scene too. You can't, for me, lover of all real estate, you can't get better (laughs) for me than like a Kennedy compound type of touch football It's Delaware, right? Yeah, wherever that was. It was magnificent. When Cooper's like, uh, you got to pick up that rush, man. (laughs) He's really great. The rugby shirt is fantastic on Please, him. What just, an awesome rugby are shirt. Are we going to do one? Just let me know when we do Cooper. Let's just. It's coming. Okay. The dinner table hand job scene is just flat out fucking funny. And Vince Vaughn's great in it. It's one of the better Vince Vaughn three minutes. It's a lot more um, explicit than I recall. There yeah. are a lot of Did you watch shots. the unrated version? Uh, there was like a, I didn't this time, but okay. I've seen it. Is the unrated version worse? I I. It's just, I think it goes on a little longer maybe, or maybe it's a little bit more graphic. There's a lot of like close-up shots of the hand and the fingers action, (laughs) which is just not something that I think I've ever seen in a movie where I was like, they are explicitly identifying how this would work if she was going to do this. How many times have you potted with him where you've had to talk about sexual acts? The Forrest Gump thing is really scarring. That's (laughs) one of the more upsetting moments (laughs) of my life. Most of the conversations about sex he's had in his life has been with these (laughs) microphones. Yeah. The, um, I saw when I went to rent this movie, there was the, what was it called? Like the corked edition? Yeah, it's, seven unra- it's uncorked. It's unrated. Yeah. So I went and Googled what I got from it. And it was basically like just longer versions of the same scenes. I was like, this movie was already too long. Yeah. This movie probably should have clocked in at 140. It was a crisp 159. Yeah. The long so version is like 130. This, this is an all time scroll over the running time and you're like, that has to be a mistake. Yeah. Like, my computer must be broken. There's an hour 20 <laughs> left. 51 what? minutes left. Yeah. And then the last rewatchable scene for me, you got the wedding crash montage, touch football scene, dinner table, hand job, Will Ferrell's camera. Yeah. Is there anything else I'm missing? Uh, I have a long running bit of just saying you motorboat and son of a bitch to my little brother. Um, <laughs> just the, that weird little encounter where yeah. right after the scene with Jane Seymour, uh, is like those two guys at their best. I, I, it, it cracks me up so much. I, I, I would probably watch that on YouTube every day. I don't yeah. know if you count this as uh, as part of the opening montage, but the Dwight Yoakam, Rebecca De Mornay <laughs> mediation scene really good is also one of those like you throw your fastest pitch first, yeah, and it comes out and it's like, oh, this isn't like other movies, yeah. And when Vaughn kicks in and he's just like, just a couple of kids who like to fuck, try to make it honest. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, we're really going to have something on our hands We should here. play that whole speech where he's like, you just want to meet a Latin guy yeah. and he, maybe he's a little Feeling threatening. Feeling you, touching but you. <laughs> Guys, the real enemy here is the institution of marriage. It's not realistic. It's crazy. I don't do this for the other person. It's about saying yes to yourself and saying yes to your future. Say yes. And have some opportunities for yourself. I'm sure you'd love to be free. Maybe go out and meet some Latin guy that can dance, grind up on you, make it feel dangerous but also safe. And how about you? Don't you want to get inside chastity without having to wonder if everyone's going to find out? God, wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't that be nice? Getting you in the dance floor. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty amazing. Good. Uh, what's your favorite? Um... I think that opening montage is the best. Yeah, the shot montage. I think that's the signature moment of the movie. 
It's also in, uh, interesting. Sean mentioned this before about how this movie looks good. The fact that Dobkin was like, I need to shoot this for two weeks. And it sounds like from the oral history that people were like, all right, man, like we like sounds good. listen to shout again. Yeah. And, and he had it in his head that he, he wanted to start the movie on that note. And it's a great, it's a great note. The other thing with this, this is, I think just the age I'm in, although it's probably timeless, but I had just gone to 10 years of weddings and I don't, I don't really haven't had gone to a lot of weddings. I don't know what's changed, but weddings were definitely in a rut with the, every wedding hit the same beat and shout always came on and it really did kind of fit into what weddings were like back then. So I kind of wonder whether or not, I, it's a shame we don't have Juliet here for this, but I wonder whether there's been a generational shift at weddings because I feel like you're like a little bit older than me and Sean, but when you you were mar- getting married and when you were going to weddings, I feel like there was still more institutional control over the entertainment at weddings. Whereas like when Sean got married, it was like an incredible like Sean playlist was what was played. Well, there was I like some yeah. Motown stuff in the beginning. Your generation's more was more self-aware. I think once YouTube showed up and then social media, people kind of realized everybody was having the same wedding. But yeah, I think in the was, 1990s, you didn't realize like, that did you, the exact same weddings were happening. Did you make your own playlist for your wedding? No, nah, we had a band. But I mean, how many did times did you- shout? I had Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Got dark a couple of times. Yeah. Don't call me daughter. People, my grandparents were rude. How many times have you had a conversation, though, with a recently married couple who are describing their wedding and they say, yeah, you know, the wedding was going okay. We had a DJ. And then like an hour and a half in, the guy just like took over and just stopped playing the songs on our list and was just like, I know how to make people dance. I got this. I, I feel like I heard that story 500 so times. So that's a relatively new thing. And because people are aware of that, like you're saying, now they're just like, fuck it. Like I just literally just rented the speakers, plugged it into a computer, paid one of my brother's friends to stand in front of a computer for three hours. And we just played all the songs that Eileen and I wanted to. Yeah, if anything, it. if like the thing I hear from weddings is like, and then at 12, we bum rushed the DJ booth and just started playing. Right. playing our I had been to so many weddings that were the same type of wedding that I actually had like comedy material that I had like in my pocket for different moments. Like I will survive. There was always like the three girls who didn't have a date who were just really getting into it. How would you rate yourself as a, as a wedding guest? Phenomenal. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Always available to have a cigarette with anybody. Uh, didn't, didn't judge if it was, if it was an open bar, never judged at any point. Uh, always there till the end. I like that in the movie when there's a, that he asked at the beginning, he asks how many of them are cash bars, you know? Yeah. If you have a cash bar at your wedding, I disagree with Bill. You, you should be crucified. That's I, uh, just a well, sin. But you, but you have to put, if they don't have any money. Okay, sure. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Understandable. But if you're like a, a, a common citizen, just like any of us, and you have a cash bar, like you're you're in the hall of shame. Yeah, I, that's uh, bad. If I, you can afford the real bar and yeah. choose not to do it, that's bad. One thing that was funny watching this movie was that I realized I'd never been to a, I've never been to a wedding stag. I went to Sean's wedding by myself but was with the woman who would become my wife. And I, you know, that, that was, I just drank a lot of tequila and Red Bull and danced with Sean's father. And <laughs> like, but for the most part, like I've always had, I've always been with, with my wife at weddings. So it was, it was interesting. I was like thinking about like, what would it be like to go stag to a wedding? That being said, I consider myself a, a solid a really like like an Alan Trammell, like a good bat at the top of the lineup kind of Not quite all the same, but close. But great wedding participant. Like ne- memorable, but not for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And an enthusiastic dancer, an enthusiastic eater, and just like a really big compliment so it's giver. the dancing is the hole in my, in my resume. You're not a dancer? Not a dancer. Was not there a, a lot dancer. of dancing at your wedding? I think there was, yeah. 
I love the strategy of the characters in the movie to pick out old ladies and little children to dance yeah, with to great. seem vulnerable. The magic tricks. That's just really smart. That's just good stuff. There's a, Actually, you made this point the last... We, my Best Friend's Wedding, which we taped for last week, mm-hmm. and you had made the point about weddings, how crucial they are in movies and TV shows, and it gets everyone together. I just enjoy wedding scenes. That's why I like that wedding montage for me at the beginning. I remember seeing this in the theater and going like, it finally ended. It was like, wow, dude, kudos. I almost want to stand up and applaud the theater. <laughs> Tremendous job, everybody. Great job. I loved it. All right. What's age the best? The painting really makes me laugh. <laughs> There's a really great Coldplay song that I think you could make a case. Sparks. Is, Sparks yeah. might be their best song 15 years later and how it's aged. And I it's just perfect part of the movie. I have such a vivid memory of hearing Sparks for the first time. I think I was in college. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a great band. This is going to be a great band. I really love yeah. much more than Yellow. the biggest band in the world. And I never could have predicted the, the direction they went. I thought they were going to be a completely different kind the of band. The first two albums... But like they had this song in uh in this movie and then um Don't Panic in Garden State. That's right. And it was just kind of these mo- these songs that became part of those movies. It's just I thought that age nice. It is a really good Coldplay song. Isla Fisher's probably never been better in a movie. Yeah, she did kind of a uh, a karaoke version of this role and tag recently this year and it was kind of it was wild to see her still, you know, like throwing Throwing heat, she's like a really feisty, uh, plays the wife of, I think, I can't remember if it's, I think it's Ed Helms. But man, she's she's pretty funny in this movie. She's fantastic in this movie, and you actually would have bought stock in her. Yeah, people thought something. she was going to be a huge movie yeah, star. I think, I, mean, I think she got married, and I, she married a comedic married genius. And, Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. Yeah, and they have a kid, and I think she got sidetracked. I mean, she's had a good career. She's been yeah. in a lot of movies. I would have, I would have. Worst case scenario, I thought she would have had a sitcom that was on for like seven years or something. She's yeah, pretty likable. Also notable, her name is Isla Fisher, not Isla Fisher. I know. I meant. I said Isla <laughs> for some reason. I know it's Isla. Um, and then uh, Bradley Cooper is a preppy dick. Stack Lodge. There's this whole backstory. Here's the time to have the Bradley Cooper conversation Absolutely. right now. There's this whole backstory we have now with Bradley Cooper that it's kind of cool to see him in this role where it's like, oh, yeah, he was the dick. I told him, oh, my God, I forgot. He's a great dick. And then he's also a dick in The Hangover and almost just gets typecast as a dick. And, and before this movie, was worried about being typecast as a good guy. Yeah. Because he said that he was going out for parts after doing Alias and everybody was like, oh, you can't do this because you're such a nice guy. And then he did Wedding Crashers and he started to get different kinds of roles. Hall of Fame dick. Maybe the best dick we've had. Sack Lodge is up there. The reason that Sack Lodge is up there is because it's like relentless. There, there is not a redeeming quality about this dude. He is, he is pretty much evil. Yeah, and you don't find that in these movies as much. Like the hits the all the check marks, talking yeah. about other women in front of our character, and sack and trapster the clothes. The the first conversation with Trapster when he talks about the private eye, I'm like, this is the worst person in America. Yeah. Like this guy is fucking awful. <laughs> What's the private eye's name? It's like the. <laughs> I can't. I can't if you made this movie now, he definitely would have a, a whole. There would be a Trump conversation that he would have at some point about. Yeah, uh, but this is also like, like a oh, five. These guys are classic, like W guys, right? Well, but I'm saying like if they made it an eighteen, he'd be talking about next week. He's seeing Don Jr. They're playing. They're doing their animal <laughs> golf weekend. There'd be some sort of throwaway line that would have worked that one in there. But he's great. It's kind of hard to believe we didn't know he was going to be a star. 
looking back, because in between this movie and then even The Hangover, people are like, whoa, who's this guy in The Hangover? He might be a star, but it's kind of hard to believe now looking back. Well, he's a really interesting... No, you go ahead first. I was just going to say, I, I want you to... I want you to hear Jimmy with when you talk about Bradley, but I, I, I was a very big fan at the time of Alias. I was, I, my wife and I watched that show religiously. We were really into I it. I didn't even know he was on it. I never, ever, ever would have guessed from that show that he would have been a famous person ever. I mean, it was the most bland, one note, best friend role in the history of TV. And that was a cool show that did a lot of interesting stuff. And his character was boring. So, so it's, you it's think he was really just strange. late bloomer? I looked at his birthday and he was only 30 when he made this movie. And he graduated from Georgetown in 97. So I think it was just one of those things that took him a few years. And then all of a sudden, uh, but he's a really, all of a sudden he figured it out. It's really interesting to contrast him with Vaughn and Wilson and see the kind of, um, the, not just the choices that he's made, but the control he's taken over his career. Because I yeah. think you wonder whether or not if Wilson was like a little bit more hands-on what his what his career looks like American Sniper with Owen Wilson well so Bradley Cooper does The Hangover and then pretty clearly has I mean for whether it's because he'd already signed up to do these movies or he thought they were going to be good but he does a couple of bad ones uh, all about Steve Valentine's Day A-Team and then Limitless was like this weird hit right it, mm -hmm. it did well and I think he was pretty involved in Limitless that might have been like a movie he produced and then after Hangover 2 he starts becoming way more either inventive with his choices by doing like Place Beyond the Pines or picking stuff that's going to put him in an Oscar talk like Silver Linings. And that stuff that Vaughn and Wilson kind of like, they're like, ah, I'm fucking famous now. Like, I'm just going to like kind of coast through. And that, that there could be a whole other reason for that. But you can just see that Cooper and you can see this in his Inside the Actor Studio videos, whether he's raising his hand to talk to people or whether he's when he's actually doing it. The glint in his eye is like there's just the eyes are on the prize. Like he's like, I'm going to be a famous movie star who's also a director. He wants to be Warren Beatty. He wants to be Robert Redford. He wants to be one of those guys who has complete control over his career for the next three decades. He wants to be Eastwood. Well, Limitless was a hit. And that's when I believed in Bradley Cooper because that's a kind of that's like one of those Tom Cruise cocktail type of movies where that movie only works if you like the lead guy. Yeah, the premise you is pretty. pretty you stupid. can't make that movie with Jason Momoa and it's not going to make a hundred million dollars. Okay, I, Jason, if you're listening, I'm. I was a fan of Braven. He's, but you he's know been, what I mean. He's had had a really interesting decade because he has been able to withstand a lot of bombs. Yeah, I mean, in a row, he made Aloha, Burnt, and Joy. And those are all real duds. And that's and not it, even counting Serena. And that right, and, and Serena, which is an all-time bomb, which yeah. people don't really know very much about. That was even, Jennifer Lawrence and, and Bradley Cooper, which was never really even released in theaters. Can I stop you for one second? I kind of like Burnt. I fucking love Burnt. My wife, my you think wife. Dave Chang's listening to this. No, we've talked about it. He's very upset about it. But uh, I'll just tell you this: when it's there's certain go-to movies from my wife, like Under the Tuscan Sun, and and uh, what's the Diane Lane cheating movie? Unfaithful. Unfaithful. Uh, burnt. No reservations with Zeta Jones. There's a couple that are just on and she's in. So Burnt's been on a lot in my house. There's a lot of scenes in kitchens in all those movies. Is that a factor? Yeah, but I think my wife likes kitchen movies. Okay. But he's really good in Burnt. It's the problem with Burnt is it's not a good movie. Are we sure he's good in Burnt? Yeah, he's good in Burnt. I mean, he's definitely committed to He's to good in Burnt. Bradley Cooper When was the last time you saw it? I watched it once and I was like, this sucks. <laughs> and then I never watched it again. He's good in it. It's just the movie doesn't work, but it's it actually you watch it and it's one of those 
Why didn't this work as you're watching it? Because there are pieces in there and there's good actors in it. It's, I mean, like Alicia Vikander's in it. If there's like so many- My dude, Daniel Brühl's in it. Yes. <laughs> my guy. Daniel Brühl, my guy. My dude. He's the maitre d'. Love that fucking guy. Bradley Cooper has saved his own career with voice acting like three times. Mm. Uh, this was the point I was going to make. He he makes all these bombs, but he does that smart thing that you're talking about, which is he put he aligns himself with David O. Russell and Todd Phillips, and he makes big movies, some of which are Oscar movies, some of which are hits. And then he gets a he gets a Marvel part. Yeah, he gets, he's he's in Guardians of the Galaxy, so people hear his voice, his Rocket Raccoon thing, all the time. And he's a part. He gets to be a part of that without having to do any of the bullshit green screen work that all those guys have to do. He doesn't have to do anything that Chris Pratt has to do, but he still gets to be a part of this huge movie universe. Also underrated, he's the voice of Mary Elizabeth Winston's boyfriend in Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is an awesome oh. movie. But in the beginning of it, he's on the phone calling her. That's so weird that he did that. Yeah, I, JJ. <laughs> We should oh. mention his his career has his version of the torn ACL, which was Hangover was such a huge success. They had to be committed to two more sequels. Yeah. So there was this stretch when he probably would have made a couple fun choices that he just had to make Hangover 2, which was terrible. And then Hangover 3, which was excruciating and almost has gotten to the point where nobody pre- even pretends it happens. I told you guys this story. I'm just going to tell it for the listeners. When I was researching this, I read about... The Star is Born, which our staff is just singularly obsessed with, like no movie that's come out. And there was this part in there about how when he was doing Sniper, as he called it, he he knew he wanted to direct and he talked to Clinton about it. And Clinton said how he'd done Play Misty for me when he was 41 and he wasn't 41 yet. But then the last two years, as he passed 40, he realized that much like Clint, it was time for him to make the leap. Yeah. And I I don't know, the, the fucking heat check of just immediately entering yourself in the Clint Eastwood conversation. I loved it. I'm in. I'm to in quote, Bradley Cooper's directing career. To quote Tom from Succession, buckle up, fucklehead, <laughs> because that is just the beginning of the promo tour for this movie. Oh, and this yeah. dude is definitely going to be on our screens wearing a denim jacket, talking about like the power of music for like the next four months. And, and I could not be any more better. invested in this journey. <laughs> and I was studied any better. And some poor reporter is going to call Clint and be like, hey, I'm doing a story in Bradley like, Cooper. Yeah. He talked about He's like, who? What? Who's They're making that? a movie together now. Like 81-year-old Clint Eastwood is out there making a Bradley Cooper movie. The Mule. Yeah. It's, it's time for Clint to stop directing. What stage is the best? Any any other things that we left out? I was going to say Bradley Cooper is my answer. I mean, Bradley I, I Cooper would, can, has I, a can I say dick. the Wilson Vaughn banter? Like the, they're just like, mm, their repartee please. is like, that's, that's good. That, that's it. I think it's a pretty good um, soundtrack for a broad Hollywood comedy. You know, you've got the, in the summertime bit when they're on the bicycles, you, it closes with uh, Stay With Me, Rod Stewart, oh, yeah. the faces, like, there's a couple of big in the shout montage. Obviously, there's a couple of, like you need big set pieces in these '90s and 2000s comedies. The Coldplay song, set, set, the Coldplay song, yeah. that are set to these big songs, and this one does a pretty good job of that. So I like that. I left out one thing that really aged nicely is the the wealthy DC area. Oh yeah, I was into that. I read that this was supposed to be Boston. Yeah, it was supposed it's to be Boston, Boston Cape Cod. Cod. Yeah, yeah. it was basically Cod. supposed to be the Kennedy compound, right? The marriage in Boston, and then. Um, but summertime DC made it look like a great place. You couldn't tell that it was 130 degrees probably <laughs> when they filmed this. What's age the worst? I feel like we kind of did this. Yeah, we did the first 30 we minutes did that. of this. Yeah. There's another part that I guess took heat at the time. I don't remember the story. We didn't have Twitter yet to mobilize. The film, even in the moment, was criticized for depicting the forcible rape of Vince Vaughn's character in a humorless light. 
And then the homophobia, they took heat for even then. Let's move to casting what ifs because this ties into- I, I think you could say just generally that the whole character of Todd is just not, that's, they made an error there. Like they, that, 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 that doesn't work in 2018. So the casting what if, Todd, the guy who, uh, who won the role, Keir O'Donnell? Yeah. The other person, Vince Vaughn, really wanted Justin Long. <laughs> and Justin Long's interpretation of the Todd character was a Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and he thought he was going to get the job and didn't get it. And uh, that is a phenomenal what if. Wow, if, can we go back and reshoot this movie with that? Because you reshoot all Todd scenes with Justin Long as Buffalo Bill. That would have been incredible. That actually would have made it kind of more acceptable because it would have been so ridiculous. Like instead, Todd is just like an art school kid who's gay, yeah. but also his grandmother is, like but a psycho mocks him homophobically. Yeah, yeah. like I the racist know. grandmother did not age that no, well. No, that doesn't work. But Buffalo, Justin Long as Buffalo Bill, yeah, black sheep Buffalo Bill. The thing that disappointing thing with that character is that the black sheep. There's so many ways that can go. That's awesome. Where like Spalding and Caddyshack is probably your greatest example, like picking his nose and eating and all that stuff. You, the Black Sheep character is almost unfuckable. Christopher Walken literally played one of these characters in Annie Hall. Yeah, you yeah. know he plays the the brother in that famous scene when they go to Minnesota, and he's fucking hilarious. Sometimes I drive into the lights. Yeah. yeah. So other casting what ifs. Will Ferrell offered the role of John Beckwith, turned it down for a smaller role. Love John Ch- Beckwith was uh, Owen Wilson. Love Chaz. Can't yeah. wait to talk about Chaz. Glad that worked out. Jane Seymour beat out Raquel Welch. Who'd you rather have, Chris Ryan? Raquel Welch is... It's sort of hard to see any great looking Jane Seymour in this role now. I I love Jane Seymour. Yeah. Always had a thing for Jane Seymour. It was Seymour. a great stunt casting. She was Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and uh, all the other stuff. Nicolas Cage was the backup choice for the Will Ferrell part. I'd like to see it. I would like Will to see Ferrell that said too. no, Nick Cage was next call. I'd like to see it. Has Nick Cage ever said yes to any of those? Because I hear that they call Nick Cage a lot for these, like, because I think Seth Rogen has a story about trying to get Nick Cage to do something, and it, it just, it never quite comes off because it turns out he needs, like, $11 million yeah. in Bitcoins. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> I, I was going to say, the problem is, is that he still thinks it's 1999, and right. he has to be the star of a movie, so he'll never lampoon his image. But he also has, like, eight tax liens against his <laughs> Scottish castles, you know? <laughs> FYI, while we're on the subject of Nick Cage. Yeah. Con Air was on TNT the other day. Yeah. I'm ready. That's all I'm saying. I'm ready. Con Air is I'm great. ready. It's great. Yeah. I forgot how prominently involved Chappelle was. <laughs> Katie Bates was while. just talking about Chappelle's this. Chappelle's like really in that movie. There's a, a probably a 52-minute podcast to be done on Cusack's outfit from Con Air. <laughs> and hair. <laughs> His it was sandals. like the first Cusack wig yeah. for a lead role. There's a lot going on in that movie. And, he, and we should mention he lands an airplane on, on, uh, on the strip. He lands a commercial airliner <laughs> on the Las Vegas trip. The Deanne Waiters Award, tough category. Oof. This is among the most hotly contested Waiters Awards, I think. Apologies we've ever had. to all of our nominees. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. Bradley Cooper, Ela Fisher, Chris Walken, Jane Seymour. Will Farrell? Will Farrell's the winner? I think he has to be. He's in one scene. Mom! <laughs> hey Mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! The meatloaf! What is she doing? I never know what she's doing back there. He's been, he's really in two scenes. There's been some revisionist history that's one scene, but he's also in the funeral scene. But he's in the movie for seven minutes and he's yeah, scores 22 it's hard, points. Guys, I, I think that Bradley Cooper deserves special recognition. Yes. But Will Ferrell is the technical winner of the Dion Waiters. This is one of the Waiters' 
all-time waiter's performance. I laugh at every single line of dialogue he has in the movie. Every time Will Ferrell talks, that is the definition of the Dion Waiters Award. Every time Chaz says something, it's funny. The, uh, just him at a great point in his career too. The, yes. He's on just a string of hits. I saw I mentioned earlier like Dobkin will like kind of like let scenes kind of play out in, in real time rather than cut around them. And when, you know, Owen Wilson shows up and he's got the nunchucks around his his neck. <laughs> and he's like, man. And he's like, basically like, I could have nunchucked you. <laughs> and then like, he's like, have a seat, man. And he just like does this thing where he's like, yeah. And he like, he's just like kind of like lording over him for a second. And it's just like, he's just completely that character. Yeah. And it's so amazing. And he's just like, yeah. He seems like he just got a crazy hit of smelling salts. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> What an idiot! Yeah. <laughs> what a loser! Like every line his imitation, is so he's just like his imitation of the guy hang gliding is, is <laughs> is like one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> we could almost rename this the Chaz Award, yeah, but we won't because we love Deanne Waiters. The Joey Pants Award for me, it's really down to Kira O'Donnell, who just I didn't know what his name was, and mm. he's just that guy who is the unfortunate character in Wedding Crashers. Henry Gibson is in this. I yeah. don't think a lot of people know who Henry Gibson is, but he is one of the all-time those guys. One of the, he's a, that guy. He's in the, the Animal House. The priest, right? Yeah. 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 He's in Animal House. He's in The Long Goodbye. He's in The Burbs. He's let's a good Let's give it to Gibby. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Half-Fast Internet Research. I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited for Sean's reaction. Roger Ebert gave this film two stars out of four. <laughs> Although he wrote that there are individual moments that are very funny. He said the director has, quote, too much else on his mind. Roger Ebert might get his own rewatchables category <laughs> called, are we sure Roger Ebert was good? I think oh, every take God. he had is off. Every time we do the rewatchables, it's like, yeah, Roger Ebert didn't like this movie. I think that's a good idea for a category. In anticipation of this podcast, I, re I read this review last night, and I was surprised by how not on the money it is. He, yeah. really, he really misses the point. Guess what? I wasn't surprised because yeah. I came to my conclusions a while ago. Roger Ebert on comedy in general is not the best. If you go back and look at his reviews of comedies over the years, he's a little bit, it's not that he's out of step. It's just that he doesn't kind of, he kind of doesn't seem to get it. He's almost like the archetype for the critic who doesn't really understand why young people like comedies. My dad was like that. He was just like, this is horseshit. Yeah. Like, why would you watch it this? It turned into an old fart. Let's be honest. Yeah, but the, everybody has their own thing. balanced him out a lot. And I, when Cisco was gone, all of a sudden yeah. he can't see that Wedding Crashers is Ebert, e, The greatness of Ebert is Ebert making truly great and important movies understandable to mass audiences. That is, that is his talent. His talent is saying... Here's what's incredible about Citizen Kane or Mean Streets or these really important turns in history to make you understand what films are. Ebert reviewing Wedding Crashers is like not really something I sought out or need. The greatness of Ebert is that he seduced people like you. When I <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Damn. It's a bit rude. Um, here's Owen Wilson on the movie in 2005. When I first read the script, it wasn't comfortable. It was a funny concept and story, but part felt corny. And then Wilson, Vaughn, and the writers changed the comp changed most of the movie, changed the arc of Jeremy's romance, got rid of a graduate-like wedding scene with John and Claire. Hmm. I don't know what that would have been. That wouldn't have aged well. No. You know what hasn't aged well is the wedding. Who else did that? Mike Myers. What Mike Myers movie was that? Well, it's, it's they did a gradual ripoff. It's parodied in um, 
In Wayne's World 2, right? Wayne's World 2, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> Wayne's World 2, all the references in that, like nobody, my kids wouldn't understand anything that was going on. Do your kids watch on. Austin Powers? They never, they liked the first, they didn't love it. I'd love to do a Mike Myers episode at some point for whatever, I'm not sure what the movie would be. I wrote about him earlier this year because I find his career so interesting. I wish more people loved So I Married an Axe Murderer. That's probably I his fucking most love that I think that's his best movie. The scene in the butcher, butcher shop, <laughs> kills me. I think it's a really funny movie. John McCain and James Carville appeared briefly in the first Cleary wedding. James John McCain donated his $700 salary to charity. He got shit for being in this movie. Got shit for because it. Because there's fake purple hearts. That's how they get free drinks yeah. at the cash bars. And John McCain, obviously the, a prisoner of war. That's pretty offensive. The movie website sold the fake purple hearts <laughs> until the, the military intervened and told them to take it down. <sighs> 2005 was great. Who's going uh, to WeddingCrashers.com to buy a fake purple heart? Is that a thing? <laughs> really? <laughs> What's going on? It would be like an open, and it was like back then it was like, I'm going to spend about 11 minutes online today. What should I do? Oh, yeah. There's this great novelty item from this movie I saw. <laughs> the creators of the film made a reality TV show called The Real Wedding Crashers. It actually... Made it to NBC for four episodes in Did 2007. Really? I have no recollection. I was of this. wondering if this ever was like broadcast as a reality show. If we'd find it like utterly com- like reprehensible. One of the all-time great ringer stories is obviously uh, Kevin Clark's Jerry Rice is a real-life wedding wedding crasher. Yeah, I was thinking uh, should, he just should, blew up Clark. Yeah, well, should we I mean, edit you know, that out? I hope he doesn't hear this. It was a this. very good idea for a piece. That's all I'll say. Way to turn it back. <laughs> But I was wondering, should we should we should we crash a wedding just to see what that's like? That's like a completely foreign thing to me that I would never even consider. I'm trying to think who would be the best ringer staffer so, to crash a wedding. Really quick, can I just mention? Uh, I nearly crashed a wedding this weekend. What? Yeah, so I was staying at this hotel in Lake Tahoe that does a lot of wedding business. And my wife and I were having dinner, and it was like really nice, but it was just kind of like you're sitting there after a while, you're just kind of running out of things to say. And then we started, we heard shout playing from the next room. <laughs> and we were like, oh my God. And it could you could tell it was that moment in the wedding where if I had just walked in, everybody would have been like, oh, it's this guy, and not known who I was. And I yeah. was, we were, we walked up to the door and peered in. And I felt like we got like two weird looks and we backed away. But it crossed our minds. Like if you were in the right situation, I think it's actually like a pretty viable way to spend your time. The clarion call of shout. Yeah. It was like a real, and I think- I did. I did it once. What? Yeah. Did you really? It was a wedding. There were two weddings in the same hotel. It was super easy. It was free for all. Did you just go get drinks and like- Yeah. Our wedding was ending and that wedding was still going. We just kind (laughs) of wandered over. (laughs) Did you meet anybody? Did you meet anybody? I don't remember. I was really drunk. You use a fake name? <laughs> no, I, I was just drunk guy and there was a bar and it was, it was all good. Okay. I'm Roy the, Dinnings. Going. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Vindaloo? Oh, I'm this the manager was, of the Durham Bulls. Dude, we're talking oh 20 plus years Bill ago. Bill Vindaloo. Will Ferrell's, uh, Will Ferrell's scene lasted one day. They had him for one day. One day shoot. He crushed it. One day shoot. Two scenes. He was good. Mom! David Dobkin said he, Vaughn, and Wilson... Once came up with an idea for a sequel in which John and Jeremy find themselves competing with a superior wedding crasher played by Daniel Craig. So last what year, the fuck? Isla Fisher said that the, the sequel is a go. She said in November of 2017. Oh, she said it on uh, Andy Cohen's show. Yeah, yeah, that it's happening. But I haven't heard a, a word about think. it since. And Not then they, that was sort of then the Me Too era happened. I guess. Yeah. yeah. She used the body double for her, uh, her nude scene. 
She told Entertainment Weekly, the film's producers wanted her to be naked for five scenes, but she managed to talk them down to just one. If this movie were made in 1988, that character would have been naked the whole time. She would have been lacing under all. Yeah. She watched Fatal Attraction in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle before her audition. And DeMornay's in the movie. That's right. Smart. That's right. Those are two of the OGs. It is not true that the painting given to Jeremy by Todd was kept by Vince Vaughn after filming. Just in case that comes up at a bar this weekend. Guys, I have a confession. I own that painting. You bought that with your fake purple hearts? Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, we covered everything else. Apex Mountain. Wait, can I just add a couple of quick things for categories that I forgot? One is, um, I think things that age the best, Bradley Cooper shooting Vince Vaughn in the ass with birdshot approximately eight months before Dick Cheney shoots somebody in the face in a similar environment. Yeah, good one. The other two, are, did we even bring up Rebecca De Mornay and Dwight Yoakam yeah, for Dion Waiters? Yeah, like one of the most rewatchable scenes. Yeah. Oh, Rebecca, but, that's a good Dion Waiters. For, but for Dion Waiters. Yeah, that we should have. They're, they're both in contention. Smart. That's pretty high up there. De Mornay, I don't understand how De Mornay doesn't have like this insane comedy career after this. Is she so funny? She's funny. I know. I don't, that's you weird. Shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> I really like her. I think she's a good actress and I would love to know the real story. Short. I wonder if it's like a Kathleen Turner thing where she turned off a lot of people or something. Maybe shortly after this, she's one of the stars of John from Cincinnati, which doesn't go anywhere. So I don't, she should have had like, she really should have had a second act. Also uh, for the 80s kids, an absolute all-time OG, Pantheon, Mount Rushmore, you name it. Risky business. All-time. Way up there. Agree. You've made on Chris the, and I very uncomfortable. No, not at <laughs> all. I'm just saying she's, she, I'm older than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> For the 80s kids, that Risky Business was a big movie. And yeah. that was like Cruz's breakout movie. And that character, Lana the Hooker, like that character was- Can a I big- ask you, can, I, can we just, I don't mean to digress here, but the, I can't get this out of my mind. Yeah. What is what is a morally acceptable situation oh. to crash a wedding? Like Morally like acceptable? It, what are the rules? Like you're not allowed to lie about your identity. Okay. And if you're just going to party, not to like- uh, you know, seduce people mm-hmm. under false pretenses. Is it is it acceptable? Yeah, but the whole point of a wedding is to meet somebody. So I read in this uh, in this movie they had a real wedding planner who came in as a consultant for the movie, and they, the woman was asked about this phenomenon of wedding crashing, and she said it's actually really hard to balance and to manage because in some cases, you know, the bride will see somebody that they don't recognize, and then they'll say to the wedding planner like, "Who is that? Get that person out of here!" Right. But there was one instance where a bride said, I don't know who that person is. And it turned out that that person was the groom's uncle. And the person was like hugely offended. And it was a huge scandal when he was, when they tried to eject him from the wedding. And so I think it's just one of those things where if you just lay low and just get the free drinks and just strike up a good conversation with cool people, you can kind of get away with it. Anytime you're trying to do anything transactional. Yeah. You've crossed the line. Well, you also, it depends how big the wedding is. Well, that's also the, the, the thing about what these guys do is that they don't just go to the wedding. They make themselves these, they cut the cake. Yes. You know, yeah, they, they put themselves toast. in the yes. center of everything. Which is, but at the same time, I'm trying to think of like, if Vince Vaughn showed up to my wedding, I would be elated, obviously. If a stranger showed up to my wedding and tried to make a speech and like cut the cake, I would have to be pretty hammered to be like, this is great. What a, what a classic moment. Yes. You'd usually just be annoyed. You'd be like, who's this six foot five goon yeah. who just took over my friend's wedding? I never would have gone to, during the height of my wedding from 94 to 03, I never would have been at a wedding and been suspicious of anyone there. I don't think I ever have been. And be like, who's this guy? He says he's Bob's cousin. I don't know. With something about him. I mean, in Massachusetts, if you were crashing a wedding, you'd have the Sully Murph guys who'd be like, 
it would be pretty obvious they didn't mm-hmm. belong. They would be, they would not have the right outfits on and things like that. But um, the bigger the wedding, I would They're say. They're wearing like Robert Parrish t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> they clearly just wandered in from somewhere else. But uh, I think the bigger the wedding, the easier it would be. If it's sure. like a 300 person wedding. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're They're going married, through, their, going through the papers. Just, yeah. yeah you're, it, I was just curious. Yeah. All right. Um, Apex Mountain? Yeah. Apex Mountain. Owen Wilson. What is his apex mountain then? I have a controversial opinion about this. Let's hear it. I think it might be Marley and Me. I think it might be <laughs> it's emotional movie. Zisu. Life Aquatic. Yeah. No, that's a ludicrous. Okay. Interesting. Ludicrous. Bill doesn't like Wes Anderson. That's an interesting take. Um, apex is just like I'm gonna say yes. He's never been more famous than after this movie. He's never probably had more movie options after this movie. Isn't he more famous? At, was Zoolander bigger than this? Uh, uh, not quite. I okay. don't think so. I think this is probably his biggest movie. You're right. Apex Mountain, you're right. R-rated yes. comedy boom. Yes. He's in the middle of it. Yes. He's in Cars. Oh, sure. Oh, Cars. Yeah. What year was Cars? 2006. 06. You're right. It sets up Cars. It's Owen Wilson's Apex. I think it is. I don't know what Vince Vaughn's Apex was. There was a there's like a te- there's like an eight page feature on him in New York Magazine in 2005 when this movie comes out. Like the he was he was. Really it felt funny. like it was. This was his. I'm here to stay. I'm yeah. an A plus list yeah. guy, and I've done really good things in a good career. I don't know what Vince Vaughn's Apex was, and you'd almost say it was Swingers. I think you could make the case that it's actually the breakup. Because really? the he's dating Aniston. He's dating Aniston. He, he's co-starring opposite her. It's after Wedding Crashers. He's back. He's it's officially after Brad back. After Red, but it's like it's it's post old school. It's post Wedding Crashers, and the breakup was a big hit. And the problem is, it wasn't a good movie. You could also tell yeah, that he had a lot popular. of pull because the guy he plays in the breakup is like, I like the Blackhawks and hanging out in Chicago. He's basically playing himself. Yeah, and that's like real power, you know. And that was that that was real success. Can I tweak your sure? Can it be? When they were filming the breakup, this is <laughs> yes, Apex yes. Mountain. Okay. And yeah, he's sure. on Us Weekly every week with Aniston. Are they or aren't they? And it's after, I think that was it. Rachel McAdams, I would say Mean Girls, The Notebook, and then this. By the end of this, yes, I think this was her Apex. I don't think she's ever been more she, famous. She did a pretty good movie that's been completely forgotten a time immediately after this. Do you know what it was? What? It's called Red Eye. Oh, it's yeah. Like, West Craven like, Thriller. Yeah. I liked Red Eye. With, with, with Killian Murphy. Killian right? Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wish she had more movies like that too. This probably was she made she made a lot of interesting choices, right? She made like teen comedy, big time romance, bro comedy, thriller, and then the movie right after that is the Family Stone, which is like family dramedy, mm-hmm. and that's a pretty amazing first five, yeah. five movies that people pretty like. Pretty Did we much. like the Family Stone? That's why, like, she yeah, came the al- Family Stone's pretty good. She came along, and it's like she's supposed to have Julia Roberts's career. Yeah, like she should have had just kept doing those movies over and over again. And instead she's kind of like, I mean, she winds up on like something like true detective, which is where movie stars are now. Yeah, that's true. Nobody else in the movie worthy of an apex mountain. Not walking. Unless you want to go David Dobkin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's actually had a successful career, but this is his biggest hit. This is a good category. Who would have been better in this movie? Danny Trejo, Steve Buscemi or Michael <laughs> K. Williams. I mean, honestly, you could go all three. I'm going Buscemi for this one. Buscemi feels is very buscemi does he, he take Walken's part? He could have played the priest. <laughs> that would be good. That's good. Mm. Mark Ruffalo, they knew overacting word. Obviously, the uh, the over the top gay brother. Yeah, that guy was really going for it. Who's the guy who plays? There's a reason Sax we haven't friend? seen him again. Not 
I don't know who that Not is. Not Trapster, but the guy who plays football with him, who's like, crab cakes and oh, football. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that guy's... He's <laughs> really going call. for it with his four lines. Yeah. And he gets screamed on by, by Cooper. Yeah. He's the one who's who's driving after Cooper's guilt, killed a girl in his convertible. <laughs> he's the one who goes to pick up Bradley Cooper yes. and deposes the body. Why the is woods. he staying yeah. at that house? It's unclear. It's unclear. Picking nits? Yeah. I mean, it's it's an absurd comedy. I don't timeline wise. Can I just get one thing straight? So the wedding, the fr- the the first lodge family wedding, or the first you know rich person's wedding that they go to, and then that that wedding is during the day, and then they get on a boat to go to the house. That's the same day, and yeah, then they how play did they... football that after. Like, was the wedding at like eleven in the morning? Yeah, that there was some. This there's is a really some, good question. There's some kind. It's always areas. bothered me. Because those guys, their their wings spread at night. They 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 accelerate at night when they're like, okay, the party is starting, the drinking is starting. But this is a daytime wedding. That's a lot of variables to have in in play for guys who apparently ad, ad, adhere to these rules of wedding crashing. So if I'm anyone out there, if anyone out there could figure out the time continuity of this movie, email us at the ringer, the the mailbag at the ringer dot com. That's an issue. The fact that they just randomly invite these two dudes to this pretty intimate family gathering right yeah. after the the marriage is weird that they don't He's have He's a government more official. Like he would have like some checks and there would be like a secret well, service. Well, and then person. that's the other part. Yeah, this guy was like, secretary of treasury. Or like, sure, you can come. Let us just run your names really fast. So this is Steve Mnuchin, right? That's who this, that's who he plays. In real yeah. life, Steve Mnuchin. I also Just picture this movie with Mnuchin in the walk and roll. <laughs> I hate nitpicking for dumb comedies, but I have a lot of problems with the best man showing up late to the wedding and that kind of stuff. Owen Wilson was the best man in Vince Vaughn's wedding. Shows up late. He's like, that's my best man. There was no other best man. I don't know. Vince the, Vaughn doesn't have best man. Come the on. biggest movie star bullshit. I mean, movie bullshit in, in this is just. Why is Rachel McAdams' character dating Sack? Like, he's obviously a prick. He's, like, so on the surface a prick yeah. that it's just not credible or believable. That's why it's tough to nitpick with comedy. You know, it's like, it's a movie. It's Yeah. Uh, we we didn't really pay walk-in walk proper homage. It's both a mail-it-in walk-in performance and also a great walk-in performance. I think he's pretty good. Yeah, it's just the movie needs walk-in. He, he takes it pretty seriously. Stuff. He does. Yeah. It's during that walking renaissance that came from the more short-sightedness. Yeah, <laughs> why did you come to my house? <laughs> he has a couple good quotes. One of which I'm going to mention right now: "Nature versus nurture. Nature always wins." <laughs> it's a good one. It's a yep. good lesson for life. Tattoo in the lower back might as well be a bullseye. I think that was the first time I'd ever heard somebody say that in a movie. Um, uh, not sure if that one would fly now. I heard now. plenty of that in college before. Yeah, this. I'd yeah. never heard it in a movie. Yeah. And then, uh, you hungry? Hey, Ma, can we get some meatloaf? I think is the quote of the movie. You motorboating son of a bitch. Probably unanswerable questions. Why not have Vince's character just name him Trent? <laughs> Why can't it just be a sequel to Swingers? Just call him Trent. Then never acknowledge you're not stealing the IP from Swingers. Where He's are just, you on? His name's Trent. When people play a, a role with I'm, their I'm same all name. In. Like when Jack Nicholson plays a guy named Jack. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I'm torn on that one. I like when I find it very vexing because <laughs> it's either that the actor was like, I don't want to have to think about someone else when I'm reading the script. I want it to say my name or they literally sat around and were like, yeah, that's right. 
Jack is a great name for this Jack Nicholson character. Like even in Chinatown, they moved it to Jake. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's it always bothers me when people do that. How do you feel about uh, TV or movie characters being extended into another vehicle? I like it. I'm, I'm fine with it. Kind of used to it by now. The greatest moment of my life ever watching TV was Coolidge was on St. Elsewhere from White Shadow. Coolidge was a center of oh, White Shadow. Yeah. And then the guy who did White Shadow, Gwyneth Paltrow's dad, made St. Elsewhere and brought Coolidge over as the janitor of the hospital. And he just had this recurring role. And one day there was somebody in the elevator and it was the guy who played Salami in the White Shadow, but he was playing another character who's in the whole episode. What do you think and happens Coolidge to- And Coolidge says- Salami! <laughs> and the guy's like, I don't know who you are, man. And just like, just like brushes him off. Yeah, my generation's version Need of more that of those. is uh, Munch, you know, Richard Belzer, who was yeah. in Law all kinds of TVs on Law and Order, and then he showed up on Homicide. I think he showed up on an episode, something else too. He was in Homicide for years, and then they moved him to Law and Order. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But he also made other cameos and other shows yeah. too along the way. Would you have been okay if Eric Bogosian was the same guy in Billions and Succession? That would have shattered he basically it. was. It would have shattered it though. Because it would... It, it, there is a there's a world in which it could happen. You know what I mean? Like there's that shatters the world. There's no character in one show that crosses out the other, except for Bogosian playing two roles. But there's not like a uh, like Logan Roy in Billions, really. Right. So you could have pulled it off, but then they 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 mess it up with Bogosian. Who won the movie? I think it's Vaughn. It's probably the peak of his powers. He really like does things in this movie that are actually quite. Uh, like it's vir- it's a virtuoso performance, even like the eating thing, which we haven't talked about. <laughs> but his fa- the fact that he's constantly stuffing his face, the yeah. breakfast plate he makes, where he's just like, <laughs> I'm going to top this off. I'm going to recharge. I'm going to power down. I'm going to get back to neutral. He, his he, bullshit <laughs> is immaculate in this movie. And it is kind of like it does. It kind of is up there with like stripes and some of the great Bill Murray performances for me. Fletch, some of the great Chevy Chase performances. I have so little to add. Are they made for speed or comfort? You know, like he just has so many lines like that that are just really, really funny. He's, he's great. I agree. Vaughn. What, a hot older woman made you feel her cans? Stop crying like a little girl. I wasn't crying like a little girl. Why don't you try getting jacked off under the table in front of the whole damn family and have some real problems? Jackass. What were they like anyway? They look pretty good. Are they real? Are they built for speed or for comfort? What'd you do with them? Motorboat? You play the motorboat? You motorboat son of a bitch, you old sailor, you. Where is she? She's still in the house? What is wrong with you? This is his Apex Mountain slash best movie. And, he, and it's a good, it's uses the a best lot of competition. Of it's a lot of competition. Like Wilson's good. Farrell's amazing. Like people are great in this movie. He, he is, he is a p- peak of his powers. Kudos to you, Vince Vaughn. That's it for the rewatchables. If you want to listen to other rewatchables episodes, go to our uh, episode archive. We've done over 40 now. Something like. 45, it's a staggering amount and a lot of meat left on that bone. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget about them at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to TheRinger.com. And uh, we're back next week on The Rewatchables. With what? Yeah, what's next, Bill? What's next for us? Yeah, there might be a special treat next week. Wow. Yeah. What a tease. Until then. Mom! <laughs> Milo! <laughs>